Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings from the Hill Country of Central Texas. This is Revolution of Military Affairs, and I'm your host, Amos Fox. Today we have Major Christopher Denzel, uh, a major in the U.S. Marine Corps, a planner with 3MEF, and he has written prolifically on maneuver warfare. I figured you might as well kick a dog when it's down, right? And we've got maneuver pretty much rustled down at this point to the ground and uh, hopefully uh, starving that thing alive. I'm only halfway joking there. But... Anyhow, given the interest that uh, maneuver warfare has had over the course of this uh, this season on uh, Revolution of Military Affairs, I figured we'd have Christopher on to talk a bit more about maneuver. So, Chris, thank you for uh, being on the episode today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a real honor uh, and pleasure. Maneuver. It's a hot talk, a hot topic in the defense and security com- security studies community right now. What is your interpretation of maneuver, and uh, I think why is that your interpretation? Well, I'll start off by saying I've, I've been listening to a lot of the other guests you've been having on a maneuver and, and a lot of their perspectives I find myself agreeing with. So I'm going to sort of focus on the, the unique answers I think I have to bring to this discussion, not because I, I weight them more than a lot of what your other guests have talked about, but just because, mm-hmm. you know, I want to keep it different and, and, and tackle this question from as many different angles as possible. So I... I I draw a a stronger line between maneuver and maneuver warfare than I think some people do. To me, maneuver is just a function that you conduct. It's it's a different form of movement. Um, And maneuver warfare is a method of conducting warfare. I I don't really like its name because when try to explore what it is we're trying to actually do with maneuver warfare, to me, maneuver is not the most relevant thing. It's it's about a, a cognitive method of attacking the enemy. Um, and maneuver is a nice metaphor for what you're doing, but I think it really gets confused with the physical act of maneuvering around the battle space. And in the discussions I've had with colleagues, that really trips some people up and they focus on, well, are you maneuvering? Uh, and they, they try to use that answer to figure out if you're maneuver warfaring. And I think they're two different things. <laughs> uh, um, I think the other... I always find... 
if I can interject really quick, when you yeah. talk about that that mental process on this, I always find it in my head when people talk about that, you know, it's a mentality, it's an approach, it's a way of thinking. In my mind, the, the first thing that comes to the fore of my mind when people say that stuff is I always think about men who stare at goats, that movie, you know, yeah, where they're like, yeah. just, you know, uh, what's his name? What's that guy? Uh, uh, the guy that stars in the movie. George Clooney. Yeah, George Clooney. I just I, I I see him sitting there, you know, in his BDUs, staring at this goat with Jeff Bridges off to the side, you know. Uh, and so, anyhow, like that argument to me is always like, you know, and this is something you raise in uh, your latest piece, uh, which we'll get to, I think, here in a little bit. Uh, what is it? Maneuver warfare is just operational art, which is terrific, by the way. Thank you. Um, where you know those those things are just ideas, um, and those don't actually translate into anything that's that's useful and a lot of those ideas that maneuverists espouse those apply to everything right like yeah. surprise that's not you know like that's not special sauce to maneuver like everybody tries to surprise people and so i think that that gets lost a lot of times in this discussion it's almost like a straw man like this is just our special thing you know and uh anyhow i'm, I'm rambling and i'm stealing the thunder yeah. from you so <laughs> no that, that's <laughs> please good. continue it, it, that sets up my next point, which is, you know, before I answer the question, I, the, how I think about maneuver frames sort of my answer. So yeah, I think it's getting a lot of attention now because the concept of maneuver warfare in the, in the U.S. defense community came as a product of the time they were developed. They were, yeah. a, they were a solution to a problem or at least a perceived problem in the 80s. And that may have worked well for the time. Uh, but I think there's a, a sense, even if it's not uh, c conscious, there's a sense that those approaches may not apply very well to today or, or the conflict that we are, we are seeing and that we think we are preparing for today. So I think one of the diagnoses of what is maneuver and, and how is it different or how is it maybe insufficient, you can draw from the fact that people are talking about it a lot as an indication of, okay, yeah. that's a sense that maybe – Maybe there's something missing. So when I try to, you know, I, I loved your 2017 arm, armor article. That's, that's where sort of that really grabbed me intellectually. And I've sort of been building and, and intellectually plagiarizing on it uh, that, since then. That was me wasting time in Sam's um, when I should have been reading, you know, uh, Slim's book while I was at my daughter's basketball practice. I was instead, you know, <laughs> writing that article. Well, good because it it probably got me to apply to Sam. So, um, oh, that's good. I'm glad to you, hear that. You've at least recruited one more insurgent uh, for the cause. <laughs> you sort of walk the dog on on maneuver warfare, attrition warfare, and, and and positional warfare as as different methods that are all equally applicable, and you shift between them as the battlefield conditions dictate. And I know you're you're very um, you've often said in recent podcasts, you know. Warfare doesn't care how you prefer to fight. It's going to give you a set of conditions, and that's going to dictate how you need to fight. Uh, and yeah. I, I personally agree with that, and I think your articulation of those three different methods as sort of a, a, a triangle that you shift between um, sort of speaks to that. So I took that, and I tried to extrapolate that and apply it to you know what the Marine Corps says is maneuver. And, and like you said, a, a bunch of it's nonsense, right? Like combined arms is not <laughs> maneuver. It's just fucking combined arms. And these days, that's yeah. not... That's just like a basic technique, like load your rifle. That's not maneuver warfare. It's what that's you got to do to shoot yeah. a bullet. Um, right. Mission command. All right, cool. That's a different method. Nothing to do with maneuver. You can do mission command with attrition yeah. warfare. 
Right, that's right. So if attrition is about taking the enemy's stuff off the battlefield faster than you replace it, that's about his capacity, right? I'm just, just destroying more of his stuff. He doesn't have enough stuff to fight back with. Uh, yeah. if, if positional warfare is about position of advantage, to me, that's that's capability. That If I have a position of advantage, that, that position is advantageous because it gives me capability and denies capability of my enemy, whether that's high ground, whether that's... Yeah. Uh, a, a route of escape or getting to key terrain faster. And yeah. so what's, what's left? Think, can I jump in real yeah, quick on ahead. this? On the, on the position thing too, I think it's important to remember, this is the idea where dislocation I think is really important, you know? And if you go, if you've studied Robert Leonard, which I know you have, if you studied Robert Leonard, this is where the, his idea of dislocation is really important. Positional warfare is almost all about that idea of dislocation, functional and positional dislocation. Specifically, those two functions of dislocation are positional warfare, in my opinion. And I think that that is an underappreciated element of, of how things unfold and how people have to fight. So I'm sorry, that just you oh, know, that, absolutely. That spurred that in my mind. And so when you, if you sort of accept those definitions, which I do, oh, yeah. what you're left over with for maneuver warfare is it's, it's a cognitive method of warfare. And, you know, when you, when you read some of the material coming out of the 80s, I think that's consistent with what its advocates were tried to get at. And there's nothing wrong with the cognitive style of warfare. I just think it's... It's something that you add on top. As a, <laughs> yeah, it, it's something you try to add on top to make your your basis mo better, right? Like it's not yeah. it's not what you rely on as your bid for success. I'm just gonna like trick the enemy into into me winning. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna and, I'm gonna do something so cool right. that they just throw up their hands and are like, "Whoa, Nelly, holy cow, what just happened?" Yeah, we we saw the <laughs> the we were in Sam's. We were talking about you know uh, the we we were in Sam's when Russia invaded Ukraine uh, oh, the, sec okay. the second time. Um, yeah, and so we had a lot of discussions about it. In the first couple of days, it was very obvious the Russians were not doing well, and we had just finished yeah. a block on great power competition, and we'd read all about Russian deception and Mas Maskarovka and all this stuff. And there were some students being like, maybe this is just some secret Russian deception campaign to trick us into thinking that they're losing when they're really winning. And I was like, no, they're just yeah. fucking losing. Um, <laughs> like it's not, if they're trying to do that, great, because they're going to, yeah. <laughs> it's going to end up not they're working. They're winning if they're trying yeah. to lose. Yeah. Um, so anyways, nothing against the intangibles, nothing against cognitive warfare. I think it's all good. I'm not saying yeah. don't do it. I'm just saying like, that's not how you're going to win. Um, you're you're going to win with with the blocking and tackling of attritional yeah. and positional techniques, and you can you can use cognitive methods or or information warfare or whatever on top of that as a force multiplier. So what that leads me to right is, and especially in my last article, I talk about measurement. You measure material, mm -hmm. you measure time, and you measure space, and those things correspond to attrition techniques to destroy material and positional techniques to get advent, uh, advantages in time and space. And what you're left with is what, what am I measuring with maneuver warfare? You can't measure will to fight. And if you try, you're just going to use proxy measurements that yeah. historically are, are really not that reliable. Right. So if, if position and attrition are the, the science of warfare, the things you can measure and falsify, like your operational approach, you say, I, I think if I do X, Y is going to be the outcome. And if I'm measuring mm -hmm. those things, I can see, is my campaign on target? Right? We talk about assessments. 
Yeah. You, you're assessing a measurable or you're assessing a subjective thing where somebody turned a, a circle on a PowerPoint from, from red to yellow because it, it feels better today. Man, real quick on the measurement thing. Yeah. Assessments. I was at the, I was working in the headquarters. It's the J flick OIR. I knew you were going to go to Missoula. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you want to talk about changing colors on slides just because on, on fictitious things. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Keep going. Oh, wait, real quick on the measurable thing. Yeah. I think it's uh, okay. What do you, what do you say to that? Cause I agree when I read your reread your article today, I was like, Holy smokes, man, this is terrific. Uh, when you, when you were hitting on that, cause I think that that's, that's an invaluable point, but I think the first thing people would come back to you with. And so this is why I'm going to come back to you with it and see how you respond. Well, what about Vietnam? You know, cause uh, we tried that with Vietnam and that didn't work. So yeah. what, do you, what do you say to that? Uh, it's great that you asked that because I, I think there's a there's at least one uh, one anonymous three star general at, who asked that very same question about my article. Yeah. Um, mm. You can Perfect. pick the wrong metrics, and that's okay, right? So so I'm gonna you know nerd out. Uh, the editors took Karl Popper out of my article, probably for the best, but uh, we're, we're mm. in a niche audience here. So I'm going to bring Popper into uh, the conversation because I can. Popper says what makes something science as opposed to another method of knowledge like theology or anything else is falsifiability. A yeah. scientific idea must be falsifiable. Doesn't mean it has to be falsified. Yep. Just means you need to have some way for it to be proven false so that the longer it goes not being proven false, you can have higher confidence that it's correct. And so, yeah, and it's validity. Yep. So you need to measure something to determine whether it is not going the way the theory says, whether that's a scientific experiment or uh, operational approach in a campaign or a battle to falsify yep. your theory of victory uh, or not. So in a campaign or a battle, you, you're coming up with a theory of victory, whether that's I'm going to go left uh, or I'm going to suppress him and then I'm going to flank him. Your theory of victory is I can suppress him with the, with the assets I have. And then I have the maneuver and the speed to flank him. And then once I'm in that position of advantage, I can attrite him by killing him with bayonets. Um, yep. Which is funny because we often talk about suppression and flanking as you know maneuver warfare techniques, right? You to close with and destroy the enemy. So that's your theory. And you, you better be able to, as you know, that machine gun team starts suppressing, find some way to measure, like, is the suppression working? Is the, is the fire I'm receiving declining? And then you can start your flanking maneuver. And if you don't do that, you're just blindly executing orders uh, and hoping that it works out. You, and you can scale this all the way up to uh, an operational campaign. If you are measuring things, whether they're the right things or the wrong things, you can say, is my theory working? I, I said, if I do these things, whether it's building schools, destroying tanks, finding IEDs, uh, destroying a 40, 40 kilometer long column in, in Ukraine, yeah. I will destroy the enemy's ability to do blank or I will improve my ability to do whatever. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And you do the thing you're hypothesizing... And you're either just continuing blindly, which I don't think anybody would advocate, or you're trying to measure your success to figure out, is this working? Do I need to change my approach? Is the enemy adapting to an approach that was valid and was working, but now they are changing conditions in the system? So you need to measure something. And you can't measure everything perfectly, but you should bias towards things that you can measure more reliably, consistently, consistently. and, and so this isn't saying that you shouldn't develop an operational approach with immeasurables or intangibles, but yeah. if that's, if that's your focus, if that's what you're banking on success, you're going to have a hard time figuring out is, is this working? So it's all a long way to say there's nothing wrong with starting out with body count and saying my hypothesis is I can attrite the enemy into submission. Yeah. So if you just keep doing that and you're not achieving success and you don't change things, that's not a problem with your, uh, measurement it's a problem with your assessment and revising your theory your measurement is telling you you're not winning i'm killing more bodies and the theorized outcome of i'm winning is not occurring so choosing the wrong metric just like a science experiment it's not bad to fail it's not bad to choose the wrong metric you then just need to have the ability to change that right we have a doctrine that lets us do that the assessments and and all the planning cycle says and then you reassess and the analysis cycle is ongoing and all that reframe and everything Yep. yep Well, our doctrine already says we're going to do this. It's just a question of what are we measuring? Uh, so you can measure things that are immeasurable, intangible, right? We call will yeah. and morale intangibles. We're saying it right there. We're admitting you cannot measure them. And that doesn't yeah. mean they're unimportant. Anybody who's served in a military organization knows that morale, unit cohesion is a thing and it matters. Yep. And But you can't target it because you can't measure it and you can't find it. And if you theoretically could find it, you couldn't tell what effect you're having on it until the enemy surrenders. And at that point, right. it's too late because you've already won. Well, Anyways. And the other thing with the will thing too, real quick, is, you know, like carpet, or not carpet bombing, but you look at like the Battle of Britain, right? And they thought that they were, you know, the Nazis yep. thought that they were going to bomb Britain, bomb, bomb London into submission, but it really just calcified uh, the Londoners and, and the Britons' uh, will to uh, resist, you know, yep. Nazi Germany. And so it's one of those things where, um, you may actually be having the opposite effect when you're trying to target an intangible. Um, and if you can't so, measure it, you're actually making your situation worse. You're not only not winning, right. you're making, you're, you're, you're contributing to your loss. Yeah. I think another thing real quick, sorry, I, I, yeah. I hate to cut you off. You got me all spun up. The other thing with that too is. This is um, going to be a two part episode. You know that. Yeah, I know we're, it may be, um, this season may go longer than I intended just based off this conversation, but that's good. Um, 
<laughs> I would rather it be that than me sitting here looking at my watch like, let's wrap this up. We'll, uh, we'll do a cliffhanger and then we'll start part two for season two. Right. And it'll be a total dud. Uh, yeah, probably. But anyhow, one of the things, so going back to this measurables in Vietnam and, and you know, measuring, uh, uh, measuring measurement space. Uh, I think the other thing too is they're like, well, you you know, how do you know that you're you're getting there, right? You know, you talk about like the Korean War, same thing. You know, the you know Chinese reinforced the uh, North Koreans, and that was a, a wild card variable. But I think that that gets it going back to stepping back even further into the weeds, like your net assessments that you're doing beforehand, right? Are they legitimate in that like they're taking everything into consideration? And so here's here's a story for you, and then I'll. <laughs> I'll let you talk again. The when I was in a again, it's a J flick. One of the things that came up um, was the Iraqi uh, or the Kurds were getting ready to have this Kurdish independence referendum, right? And so I had to go across the street because I was I worked in the the J five plans there. It's a J flick. I had to go across the street because I was in charge of developing some of the stuff uh, that J flick was doing for this. And so I had to go talk to the political advisor to the, uh, whatever he was, the, the director of OSCI, you know. And so I'm talking to this woman and I'm like, hey, what about if, you know, the Kurds say, hey, we're, we want to be independent. And then the Iraqis say, oh, no, you don't. And then they attack into Kurdistan, right? And she's like, that would never happen, ever. And I was <laughs> like, okay, but what if it does, you know? And she's like, no, that's not even on the cards. We're not even going to look at that. And I'm like, but maybe you should. Uh, you know, and then, uh, if, you know, a few months later, the the Kurds say, hey, we want to be independent. And Iraq attacked into Kurdistan. And I get to watch this nice, big, uh, <laughs> unseen war happen that uh, very few people actually get to see play out. Uh, but anyway, you know, that's one of those things where it's if you're not doing a good assessment on the front hand and building a bench of assumptions from which to operate, then your potential, uh, you know, your, the, the areas that you're trying to measure can be completely off too, you know, and that's one of the things I saw with that. Like, you know, we said, hey, here's like eight potential options that, that, that may happen. And you can, you know, build these measurement spaces based off each one of those and almost vector your way into which one, which one of those actual outcomes are you in, you know. Um, again, it's hard. Uh, it takes some time. And, you know, you can't go to the gym if you're spending all this time making – uh, you know, analysis space and people want to go to the gym. So that's, I think, part of the problem there. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a heady conversation that a lot of folks don't like to have. So anyway, um, again, you tripped another one of my like spots with this, with this whole thing. So back to you maneuver. Yeah. So, and I'm going to end up bringing it back to that, that armor article. Um, so if, if you accept all this and not everybody does, I do, uh, You, you, you've built position and attrition as quote unquote scientific falsifiable techniques, measurable techniques, and you you still want to apply all the intangibles on top, right? So this is where people Mm -hmm. say, oh, you you just want to count tanks. It's like, no, I I can count tanks. And also the enemy's tanks are nice to destroy because then he can't use them. So I want to kill them. Right. Um, But I also want to do the other stuff. And that's the creative spark on top of that. Mm-hmm. then my argument in this article is that's we have a word for that and that's operational art um yeah it we we accept in the t- in the concept of operational art that war is not science there's art in there too there's science in war but there is art in war and you can't apply tactics uncreatively and that is why the word art is in operational art so this brings it back to no i don't just want to kill tanks and i don't just want to count tanks 
That is yeah. how I'm going to build my strategy, my plan, my method for, for stopping the enemy from doing what they want to do or allowing me to achieve what I want to do. And I'm going to layer on top of that all of the things I can't measure because I do know they're important, but I can't rely on them because I can't know exactly what I'm, what I'm accomplishing with them. But I can flank an enemy or destroy their, their, their avenue of escape or sink their ship and relatively accurately understand the impact that has on the enemy system. The enemy's still a system. Yeah. I'm still yeah. a system. Systems are still hard to understand. But if I'm trying to impact the system, I should start with actions that I have higher confidence I understand what the impact will be. And sinking yeah. ships or you know flanking a unit and gaining a, the high ground to get a position of advantage is something that I have high confidence I know what the enemy's the impact to the enemy will be. And then hopefully they're scared into surrendering and I can go home. Um, yeah. But probably I'll have to kill a bunch of them first. Well, that's the other thing too that I think gets lost in this conversation is that it's uh, the 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 killing of an opponent or the threat of killing the opponent is what causes them in most cases to give up. Right. You know what I mean? And ultimately, you're trying to get them to give up so that the policymakers, as that works its way up the up the ladder, the policymaker gives up. You know, but uh, like big. <laughs> Big uh, men that stare at goats maneuvers don't really do that. It's, it's you know, unfortunately, the death and destruction of lots of uh, soldiers, you know? Yeah, and, and the last point I'll make on this, and this goes back to your, your original article, right? You, you, yeah. You're not picking one. You're using them all, and you're not saying the will is unimportant. All of these things are to affect the will, obviously, eventually, but yeah. the the method is I'm going to kill your stuff so that if you don't have yep. stuff, you know you can't fight and you give up. Um, or if you don't, dead men have no will, right? The other point with that before I move on to the next question I think is, is important to make clear is that commanders, uh, this is one of the things too we talk about, you know, the importance of commanders and command posts. A commander without a force is just a dude standing in the woods, right? A force without a commander is still a force that can go fight, you know? And so this is one of the things that I think is lost in this discussion today too, um, as it relates to everything, big picture. And I, this ties into the next question specifically, but, you know, this focus on, you know, we're going to take out the command post. We're going to, you know, cut the head off the, you know, off the dragon and then the body's just going to flail and die. No, it's not. The body's going to fight uh, because this isn't a dragon. It's a system, like you said, and systems have resiliency built in, right? Next man up or next woman up. Whoever that person is, is going to go take charge and uh, and lead their force. And so I think that's that's important to, to carry forward. Well, one one last thing I want to make on that before yeah. we move on is the, the at least the the maneuverist advocates in the in the Marine Corps, whether that's recent you know recent people publishing things or what MCDP one it set, itself says it implies that we can will our way through the enemy's friction and we will win by inducing friction on the enemy. And it yeah. makes similar arguments like that where it just presumes that we can do better than the enemy. And I think that you, you need to understand the other guy's trying to stay alive and the other guy's trying right. to kill you. And he's not dumb yep. because those are yep. strong incentives. 
and you may be smarter than him, but if your doctrine is premised on the fact that we can just do to the enemy and they will not be able to do back to us, like that's yep. it's a tough, tough place yeah. to start from. I think that that's so those two points, those are always the two points that I say are the, the, the first principles of anything. Right. So, again, I'm a huge believer in systems theory. Right. And the application of uh, systems as it relates to uh, warfare. And the first rule of a system is don't die. Right. Yep. First rule. And second rule is win, right? Especially in an adversarial context, right? Mm -hmm. Don't die and then win. And uh, I think that that's often forgot because we think the patch on our shoulder, the, the U.S. associated with our name anywhere on our uniform is, is going to just kind of get us through things when that's, that's not necessarily the case. Because the other guy is saying the same thing. And uh, we tend to forget that. Yeah, that would be uh, a good a good thing if we had some data points there, but we, we, we tend not to look at that kind of stuff. We just move on from disaster and failure. So moving on. Moving on. <laughs> the good segue there. Hopefully How not from disaster and failure. No, no, no. This was uh, That was good. That was good. Uh, we chewed up almost the entire time for this whole episode in one question. Five parts. Um, yeah, it's good. How do you square maneuver with the de decreasing size of land forces coupled with the increased uh, of sensors, long range fires and precision strike? And I think this is probably really important considering uh, where you work. So I think there's a couple different answers to this because because as you are, are fond of saying that the battlefield context di di dictates how you're going to have to fight. So I'll give an answer yep. that's specific to my battlefield context and with the understanding that. I'd be giving a different answer if I was preparing for conflict in Europe. So this is not the right answer. This is just what I think yeah. the right answer for my AOR is. Um, in my case, I think it actually helps, right? The, the decreasing size of, size of land forces helps me compete with sensors, long range, precision fires, et cetera. In, out here in Japan, we are looking at defending Japan in a Taiwan contingency. That, that means deploying forces to defend Japan, ground forces in my case, Marines ashore. Yeah. It means uh, trying to project our own long-range fires and sensors to, to deny the enemy their, their objectives. And in that case, I am not the high-value unit on the battlefield. Right? China wants to find B-2s and B-21s and B-52s and F-16s and carriers and destroyers they don't really care about a Humvee with two naval strike missiles strapped to its side. They would like to, to, yeah. to kill us, but there are too many targets in the battlefield for them to find us all. So the fact that I have, you know, and this is the history of, of war has been increasing technology, increasing fires, increasing range, forces dispersion on mm -hmm. the battlefield. I yeah. can put fewer forces on these islands because they need more dispersion. Uh, they, they're hard to sustain. So the fewer people there are, the fewer people there are to feed. Um, and that, in, that creates a lot of operational challenges, but it actually increases my protection. My survivability doesn't come from throwing a bunch more Patriot batteries on the island so that I can shoot down incoming ballistic missiles. My protection comes from the fact that I'm small. I don't have a lot of active protection and that provides yeah. me some passive protection. So in my context, 
the sensors and the shooters and the long range fires are forcing me to be more dispersed, but that dispersion is actually buying me some protection. I lose some lethality, right? So you have a problem yeah. where I now have to optimize between lethality and protection. Um, mm -hmm. And because we, we like threes and triangles, the, the third leg of that triangle is probably sustainability. Yeah. You need to optimize the force, um, but you're not putting a bunch of, nem you know, rogue nemesis launchers online and then shooting them all at, you know, uh, 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 Renhai or a Liu Yang, you know, destroyer, you're having a couple here and there. And then what you're trying to do is you're trying to mass fires across domain. So it might take, you know, uh, 10, 20 missiles, you know, whatever the number is to get through the air defenses of one of these advanced naval combatants. I cannot mass 20 missiles uh, from one of these islands. Um, mm -hmm. And if I did, I'd probably get one shot and then I'd be out of missiles and I need to be resupplied. But what I can yeah. do is is launch four at the same time that maybe one or two aircraft launch another four at the same time as a destroyer yeah. and a submarine launch four and four, right? So we talk about multi-domain fires. We're talking about dispersing for protection and then trying to figure out new operational concepts to mass our fires from multiple domains so that it's hard for the enemy to find us. And if they do find one thing and kill it, they've killed a smaller percentage of my force. So decreasing size of land forces out here in the Pacific actually helps us. It, I think it's in keeping with the history of warfare and the fact that, that dispersion always seems to be the direction it heads. Um, but then that, that increases the need for combined arms, not because we're doing maneuver, we're actually doing positional yeah. and traditional warfare. That's right. But that's where, where you do have to truly combine arms to have any effect on the enemy whatsoever. So this is the point that we're going to break this episode into two. Uh, this episode recorded it uh, over an hour. And uh, I, just for the sake of the listener, I, I, I've decided to break this into two episodes. So this is the end of part one with Chris Denzel. And uh, part two will be coming up in the next week or so. So thank you for listening to Revolution in Military Affairs. I hope you've all had a happy holiday season and a happy new year. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.